From Wine Insiders, this is Sniff, Sip, Repeat, a monthly podcast for lively discussions all about wine. In each episode, we'll be speaking with industry experts, from vineyards and tasting rooms to restaurant and retail, to give you a little inspiration for what to pour next. I'm your host, Kristen, and I've worked in the wine industry for many years now, and I'm excited to bring conversations with my peers directly to you. Are you ready? Let's take a sip. My guest today is Ferdinando Mucherino, our resident psalm at Wine Insiders, who hosts the video series Inside Wine with Ferdy. Prior to working with us, Ferdy was wine director and sommelier at some of the best restaurants in the U.S. I'm really excited to have him here today because we are about to talk about two of our favorite things, wine and podcasts. And today on the show, we're going to talk about Portuguese wines, and we're going to taste three from the collection. So welcome, Ferdy. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Christine. Thank you so much for having me again on your podcast. Today's topic I'm really excited about. We're actually going to talk about Portugal. And at the end of the podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about podcasting. But we're going to start with Portugal. I've actually never been there. So I'm really looking forward to hearing more from you. Well, I've never been to Portugal either, although I tasted a ton of Portuguese wines throughout my career. Uh, and I think Portugal is on my bucket list as far as a wine destination or a place to go because they have a rich history of winemaking and they have kept their traditions throughout the centuries. So it's a very fascinating country as far as wine goes. I'm really excited to visit it too. I think it's on my bucket list. I have a friend from, in the nineties, I lived in San Francisco and I had a friend, Nuno Mendez, who I actually went to his graduation from the Culinary Academy. He has gone on to become a very famous chef. He is one of the chefs behind Chiltern Firehouse in London. He also has his own restaurant in Lisbon. So I'm going to have to add that to my bucket list. I was actually thinking of going to London before COVID hit. And I thought, I'm going to look up Nuno and go eat dinner. And now I'm like, you know what? I'm going to look him up in Lisbon. <laughs> and I'm going to go to his restaurant in Lisbon. That looks amazing. I remember him and his friends talking a lot about Portugal, the beautiful architecture, the beautiful art. And I know there's so much amazing food. And he was an amazing chef. He, I ate many a meal that he cooked. So I can't wait to get a little bit more intimate with the cuisine during this podcast, but most importantly, as you said, the wine. So I think one thing that maybe we can start the discussion with, just the elephant in the room, if you will, most people know Portugal for port wine. So I do think we should talk for a few minutes about port wine before moving on to wines we're going to taste. Absolutely. You can't, you can't talk about Portuguese wine if you don't address the elephant in the room, which is what is Portugal known for, which is port and Madeira, two fortified wines. So first, why fortified wines? Why are they so special? Um, in the early 1700s, the British Empire, they were in a trade war with France and France decided to cut them off of the distribution of wine. They said, okay, we'll put an embargo and you are getting no more wines from us. So the British started looking elsewhere for wine and they, had their eyes on Portugal since Italy was inaccessible for them and Spain was in political turmoil. So they went to Portugal and they started exploring Portugal. They started from the north in the region called Vinho Verde and their wines were great, but they were white wines mostly. They were too light and acidic. It wasn't appealing to the British palate. Then they went to the Douro, which is further south. Uh, and they discovered these amazing wines. They had mostly red wines, but they were very big, bold, and austere. They called them the black strap wines. So they 
explored a little bit more, went to a monastery and noticed that the monks in this monastery were adding spirits to the wines in order to stabilize the wine, stop the fermentation and achieve a desired level of sweetness. So that made the first fortified wine and, uh, and it took the name Port because the closest city to the Douro region is Port Oporto. Oh, okay. Um, That's so interesting. What, what a fortified wine is, it, fortified wines are um, regular still wines that in the middle of fermentation, still spirits are added to in order to stop the fermentation and preserve the wine, make it last longer, make it, give longevity and give depth of flavor. So by stopping the fermentation, what you do is that you stop the alcohol, the sugar turning into alcohol. So you can get these sweet and lush wines that are also very boozy and long lasting. So it's a win-win. And those, those became the wine of choice for the British empire, for the early colonies in America. So our founding fathers were big port and Madeira drinkers. So that, that was actually the first time that Portugal took the word by storm with their wines. That's really interesting. That makes sense to me because I think of it as a very elegant alternative to brandy almost. So I can see it being very popular in drawing rooms in that era. Oh yeah. Nowadays, I could say that the, the best after dinner after, after dinner drink would be a nice glass of port, uh, the perfect companion for a cheese plate. I love port. Some of the oldest wines on the market are ports and Madeira. They can age for hundreds of years wow. if you could find one that old. They, and it's interesting that they discovered it in a monastery. I feel as though many of the best origins of wine stories have something to do with a monastery. Yes. <laughs> There's always a off- monastery in the, in the, in the backstory. Absolutely. Off the top of my head, champagnes, I mean, sparkling wines, mm-hmm. burgundy. Absolutely. Uh, they, they all came from monasteries. So one of the things we often do on this podcast is talk about the grapes that are native to a region. And I think Portugal is very, seems very unique to me in that there are so many unfamiliar grape varietals that when I went to do research this episode, I read a little bit about how the Portuguese winemaking did evolve somewhat in isolation. So while they probably do make wines out of Chardonnay and Pinot and popular grapes, they also just have a lot of native grapes that no one has ever heard of elsewhere. And so I think every time I look on a wine menu and I've seen enough wine now at this point that like, I'm, I'm still surprised by the varietals that I see in blends and I don't actually know many of them. Can you speak a little bit about the grape varietals that would be native to Portugal and what people can look for? Absolutely. So there are there are over 250 native grapes to Portugal, and uh, they're both red and white grapes. Um, grapes like for whites, you have Loriero, Trajadura, um, Trajadura, because in uh, in Portuguese you the, the J is not silent. So Loriero, Trajadura, Arinto. Uh, you have Alvarinho, which is similar to Spanish uh, Alvarinho. Um, then for reds, you have grapes that are uh, called Turiga Nacional, Turiga Franca, Tinto Roriz, which is Tempranillo in Spain. You have Castelao, Aragonés, which is also Tempranillo, uh, Baga. Um, um, 
beautiful, beautiful grapes and beautiful wines made out of these grapes. I say, I feel like for white wines, uh, what, you, what you should expect out of a Portuguese white, it's always a sense of uh, freshness, eye acid, citrusy notes, very, very refreshing uh, and sharp, laser sharp wines. For reds, what I always associate with uh, Portuguese reds is a dusty quality to it, which is funny because port is always, uh, always had that dustiness to it, but maybe uh, that, sh that must come from uh, Portuguese grapes because when I drink a red from Portugal, it always had that dusty element. And I love that because I love a combination of earthy and fruity. Well, you got me excited to start tasting the wine. Should we taste a few? We should, we should. <laughs> I'm really excited to start with the 2020 Marazul Vino Verde DOC. We've actually talked about this wine just a little bit on a previous podcast because it was part of our club shipment. Now it's part of the store, but I'm excited to hear your thoughts on it because I know you're a big fan of Vino Verde. Let's talk absolutely. about it. Absolutely. I love Vino Verde. Um, one of my absolute favorite wines in general. There, This region is the uh, northernmost region of Portugal, wine region of Portugal. Um, it is known and it has been known in history for making this low alcohol, slightly fizzy white wines, also rosés and some reds, but always slightly fizzy and low in alcohol. And that's because it is a, a region that's wet and humid, and it's a place in which wines don't fully ripen. So they, they make the wines very early and they release them very early. And in the past, the wines, was, the wines were bottled before the end of malolactic fermentation. So there was a, a, there was a little bit of fermentation going on in the bottle and the bottles acquired that fizziness. Nowadays, that fizziness has been uh, achieved through the addition of CO2. And it's just a slight fizz, which is uh, in Italian, we call that amabile. Uh, and it's just lovely. It's so food friendly. The wines are generally citrusy and um, uh, citrusy and fresh. This one in particular is a blend of Loriero for the majority. Then there's a, a touch of Trajadura and Arinto. And I love it. It smells like Meyer lemons, lime, uh, a little bit of kiwi, some, some uh, white flowers, delicious wine. Perfect for an aperitif, perfect for salads uh, or fruit salads, shellfish. I remember talking about this wine a little bit with Tyson when it was in the club shipment. And one of the things that occurred to me was I think this is the kind of wine that I could bring to a party at home. I grew up in a beach town and I used to wait tables at an oyster bar and in a Caribbean restaurant. And a lot of the food that we served was a lot of shellfish, fresh fish. And I feel like there might be some similarities because I know that Portuguese cuisine probably does have a lot of element of seafood to it. And so I feel like this wine would be perfect even with dishes I'm, I, I've eaten growing up. Absolutely. There, there are 550 miles of coastline in Portugal. So I would say seafood is most likely the staple of their cuisine. Yeah. Okay. That white wine was delicious. Let's move on to the reds. First up, we have 2019 Tercios Tinto Tejo. This is a delicious red blend. It's also a platinum medal winning wine, which is really exciting. It's made up of four grapes. I'm not even gonna to try to pronounce them. I'll let you, go ahead. All right, we have the, uh, so this is the, this is the Tertius made 
in the Tejo, Tejo region. So the grapes, the grapes are Castelao or Castelao Aragonés, which is a synonymous or uh, synonymous of uh, Tempranillo. Then there's Trincadero and Turiga Nacional, which is the most important grape of Portugal. I love this wine. There's a reason why as a platinum award winner wine, uh, this wine is, if, if I was to say one word to describe this wine would be balanced. This is a fantastic blend. It offers a multi-layered uh, multi experience. You get fruit, earth, you get some um, um, aromatics from the barrel. It's a, it's a wine that's a, not only it's an easy wine to drink, but it's also a fantastic wine for food pairing, pairings because it's so balanced. It's medium bodied, medium alcohol, medium tannins. It's very versatile having all these different nuances. So when I think of a wine like this, just to give you an idea, um, this is the perfect wine for Thanksgiving. Oh, you, okay. have your, you have your plate that's filled with a multitude of flavors. You have, you have, you know, if you're, if you're doing a traditional American Thanksgiving dinner, you have turkey, you have cranberry sauce, stuffing, mashed potatoes, corn, yams with, uh, with marshmallows. You have sweet, sour, tangy, you have all of them. This is a wine that's a no-brainer. It covers everything. It pairs with everything because it's just easygoing and, easy and, uh, and food-friendly. This is one of those wines that's quintessentially jammy. Isn't that right? It is. It is. It is definitely on a fruitier side. It's more fruit-driven. And Tejo is an important wine region in Portugal because it is the oldest wine region in Portugal. Uh, it was uh, first cultivated by the Phoenician, Phoenicians, so 4,000 years ago. Um, and it is, Tejo is the cultural hub, the agricultural, I said cultural, the agricultural uh, hub of Portugal. So here, fun fact about Portugal. Did you know that Portugal was the uh, second most, the second biggest producer of rice in the world. I did not know that. Okay. So outside of China, Portugal produces the most rice in the world. And that is all and it is all cultivated here in the Tejo region. Um, along along so Tejo means tigus. The tigus is what we call the river that crosses this uh this region. And not only here, here you go second fun fact about <laughs> Portugal um, Portugal is also the largest industrial producer of tomatoes. Oh, okay. Wow. So I rice. I don't think I realized tomatoes, that either. Rice, rice tomatoes, tomatoes and, sea, and seafood. And we already seafood. have three staples <laughs> of the Portuguese diet. Fantastic. I just, this already sounds like a delicious dinner that I want to eat. Oh, and and this, this could be my Portuguese Thanksgiving year. Maybe that's what I should do this year. And speak, actually, I just remember, speaking of seafood, uh, Portuguese fun fact number three. Ah, I love fun facts. Their cod or bacalao, uh, how they call it in Portugal, at the time where the British were uh, uh, trading in port wine, bacalao was also as important as port wine. It was, it was almost a currency. Wow. So the, the two major exports that the British was taking were or taking all over the colonies were bacalao or salted cod and wine. Hearing more about Portugal, I'm definitely going to need to go for a visit. 
This just sounds like a fantastic place to have dinner and drink. Before we move on to the next wine, can you give us a little bit of a backstory on the winery and the winemaker? Absolutely. Uh, her name is Antonia Barbosa. As we mentioned, she's an award-winning winemaker. Uh, her vineyard not only is certified organic and sustainable, but she, they have a special way of uh, treating the vineyard. Every morning, uh, her crew walks around the vineyard, pruning extra, extra uh, branches, cutting extra leaves, orienting the grapes towards the sun. And at the bottom of the vineyard, there are these large pebbles from the river and that facilitates drainage absorbs the heat during the day and releases it during the night. It's a, it's a beautiful vineyard. It's one of the most uh, uh, characteristic vineyards that we have in our portfolio. It's a beautiful place to visit and uh, spectacular breathtaking pictures you could take there. I, I love to hear that because I think sometimes you can taste it in the wine, but it's just so fun to hear the narrative about where it comes from. And You could say that about Portuguese wines. They're very terroir driven. What I was saying about that dusty quality to it, if you, when you, I never been to Portugal, but when I think of Portugal, I do think of, you know, beautiful beaches and, and uh, terracotta, terracotta stone baked by the sun. It gives, it almost tastes like a little dusty and sun baked. So you, you taste that in the wine. So wines from Portugal are very terroir driven. So for our listeners, we're going to talk next about 2019 Mentor Red Blend from Douro, D-O-C. And Freddie, you've already mentioned Douro. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that region since it is so important? And then tell us a little bit about this wine. Absolutely. So the Douro is the region where port is made. Uh, but port is not the only uh, kind of wine that is made in the Douro. There's a lot of steel, white, red, and rosé wines that are made there. Uh, the Douro, it can be considered one of the oldest delineated wine regions in the world. It was, uh, it was actually declared a protected wine region in 1756. So it is, they say it's the oldest in the world. I, as an Italian, I'm going to say, <laughs> no, it's, a, it's the second oldest because Chianti was a uh, was demarcated in 13, in the 1300s. So about 1756, it's a very long time for a wine region to be uh, established. And this is the, uh, as far as, uh, uh, as beauty goes, it's another point for Portugal. These vineyards are so beautiful. They're, they, they are declared a UNESCO site. So it's, uh, uh, they're, they're, it's the largest mountainous area the more mountainous vineyard in the world. Um, just to give you a perspective, it is four times larger than Napa Valley. Wow. Napa Valley is not small. It's not small. So the Duoro is four times larger wow. than Napa Valley. Um, one thing I love about the mentor is that a concept of sustainability, which is in Portugal, is, 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 taken, is, taken, to, is taken very seriously. Um, so the mentor, this wine is aged in used port barrels. So instead of discarding of these barrels, they use them to make steel wines. And what it does, it offers you one more layer of flavor. So you get this wine that is already delicious. This is a blend of Turiga Franca, Turiga Nacional, Tinto Cao, and Tinto Roriz, which are 
also the most famous grapes to make port with. Uh, but this is a steel wine. It's not a dessert for the fight wine. It's a steel wine. Uh, I love, this is like the, the definition of dusty. Like when you <laughs> smell it, it smells like an old piece of wood that's been brushed with fruit. It's almost like you, you, you spread marmalade on an old piece of wood. Uh, <laughs> I know, just try to visualize that. Uh, I'm thinking of like sustainable plates made out of old pork barrels. <laughs> oh, you can. Move it, moving flavor. on from bamboo, we'll use old port and it's gonna just, it's gonna be marmalade on a... <laughs> and, it, and it also has these notes of uh, sweet tobacco and leather, it's a delicious wine. And it's not as big as you can imagine. Like when I'm describing this wine and being in being full of tannins and being uh, aged in a pork barrel, you may think this is a, a full-bodied big wine, but it's actually medium-bodied. There's a great amount of acid. So another wine that's food-friendly and another wine that could be, a, for example, a great alternative to a port, which is uh, generally speaking, 18 to 25% uh, alcohol. So something a little lighter, but with the same intensity of flavor. One of the other things I like about this wine is talking about narratives and backstory to wine. I understand that this one is made by the Van Seller family and that they have been producing port wine since 1715. Apparently they've had 14 consecutive generations of winemakers in their family. That's really impressive. Yeah, what a legacy. Like way to keep it, way to keep it in the family. <laughs> and they were there from they were there from the very beginning. Absolutely. So I feel like when you pour a glass of this wine, there's just so much to talk about at the Thanksgiving dinner table. You can talk about it for 20 minutes. It has such a story behind it. Absolutely. So we've tried three really amazing wines from our collection, and I hope that our listeners are going to be able to discover the taste of Portugal in these wines. Thanks for sharing all your insights. I do have one more thing to ask you about Portugal. So I understand that Portugal has a region where most of the cork used worldwide is harvested. And Cork is obviously an integral part of winemaking and bottling and packaging since the earliest days. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Oh, yes. Fun fact number four. <laughs> number four. We owe it to Portugal for having corks in our wines all over the world. Portugal is the biggest supplier of cork. So the region is called Alentejo. So... Um, Tejo was the, uh, the wine region that we were discussing on our uh, second wine on the Tertius. The wine region right below is called Alentejo, which in Portuguese means below the Tejo, so below the Tigris River. And they have the biggest forest of cork. And uh, that's actually one of the most sustainable practice in agriculture in, uh, in Portugal. Uh, a cork tree does not have to be cut down in order for us to harvest cork. Well, all, all they need to do is to shave it down. So once you, so the, the process is you plant the tree, it takes 25 years for the, the, the tree to develop in order for you to harvest some cork. And then after you harvest the cork, so after you remove a layer of bark, it takes 10 more years for the, for the, uh, for the tree to be ready. So here, let's talk about visuals again. When you look at a freshly shaved, um, freshly shaved cork tree, uh, and this is a big forest of them, imagine poodle legs. 
it always reminds me of that when I see pictures of it because you see these like beautifully shaved, almost like pinkish looking uh, tree bark with this big poof of leaves on top. So oh, that's funny. A oh. giant, a giant forest of poodle legs. Um, but at any given point, at any given time, every year, we have enough supplies to cork all our wines for a hundred years. So that's how big the production is and how, and how it repeats itself, so how sustainable it is. So it's great. It's actually, fun fact number five, in <laughs> Portugal, if you, are, uh, if you work in the agricultural industry, shaving cork trees is one of the most lucrative jobs. Really? It is. But you can only do it every 10 years. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm kidding. So that's interesting. I knew that it came from the bark. I, I don't think I realized you have to wait 25 years for the tree to be ready and then you wait 10 in between. So it is sustainable, but wow, you, you really have to be strategic and shave the tree, a different vineyard, I guess, every year. And you just kind of rotate. And then every 10 years you come back around. That, that is a lot of work. I can see why it's a, a good job. It's hard to keep up too. There's, yeah. You know, which tree is which? <laughs> You don't want to shave a baby tree. That would just exactly. be baby cork. <laughs> Maybe that's for split bottles. and <laughs> That's where all the like corked wine comes from. The, the corks are shaved too early. Okay, so that's interesting. I, knew, I had heard about that. And, and I know that years ago, there were uh, many years ago, there was a fire. And, you know, it was dramatic because I guess it makes sense now that if there is a fire and any bit of it is damaged, much like a frost, you know, with a, a wine vintage, you are, you are kind of out of luck until the next year when you have the next year's harvest. So that's really interesting. But I like that it is sustainable also. I think, unfortunately, sometimes people have moved away from the traditional cork, but it is definitely the most sustainable option. It is one of the most sustainable. There are also other sustainable practices. Yeah. But for old-fashioned old fashioned wine drinkers like me, nothing replaces the sound of popping a cork. Absolutely. And uh, I, do, I do appreciate the... Uh, the how easy a screw top is and uh, any other way of uh, of uh, enclosing a bottle and uh, having a cork doesn't mean the wine is better There's, no but it's, it's more just romantic magical to me about yeah it's more it. romantic yeah. than a screw top let's be honest <laughs> mm -hmm. i'm old-fashioned yeah me too me too Okay, we've talked a lot about Portugal today. Thank you so much, Ferdy. There is something else I want to talk to you about since you're my partner in crime on this podcast most days, and it's podcasts. So yesterday was International Podcast Day. I'm very excited to be doing this podcast with you, by the way. And I think you and I have another thing that we have in common. We are both obsessed with the Hulu show, Only Murders in This Building. Is that right? It, we are. We are. We can't <laughs> stop talking about it. And so uh, I we, am, I need to know who <laughs> murdered Team Kono. I know, me too. Who murdered Team Kono? I have my ideas. We can't talk too much about it though, because I don't want to give spoilers to our audience or anyone listening, because the show is so fun to follow along and sleuth as you go. My daughter and I, after every episode, discuss it. So 
but I do want to talk about what I love about it is that much like if you are a wine enthusiast and you have a passion for wine, if you have a passion for podcasts, this show is terrific. It get each episode, even the title just feels like a podcast episode. And in each mm-hmm. one, you get a special angle on all of the characters in it. And I really love what they've done with it. And I have to say, I'm a huge Steve. I was already a huge Steve Martin fan. You know, obviously growing up, you know, he had movies and appearances on Saturday Night Live as a guest. And there were so many things I grew up with. But then even in the 90s, like when I lived in San Francisco, I was telling you that I, that's when I met Nuno Mendez when he was at the Culinary Academy. Well, also in the 90s, I remember going to see a play, like an opening night of a play, Picasso at the La, La Pana Gilles. I don't even remember why we got tickets and it, it was so funny and it turned out it was written and produced, I think, by Steve Martin. And I, I Googled it this week because I, I wanted to remember correctly. I was like, Did, didn't I see that? And it didn't list the San Francisco opening. So I'm pretty sure Steve Martin's not listening to this podcast, but he's probably the only one that can answer this question. But I want to know if I actually attended the opening. I think what they did was they were putting, the, putting it on in Chicago and they were doing a trial run in San Francisco. And I went to the first night of it and it was the funniest thing ever. And yeah. So anyway, he's a very talented writer and he, he, it's the whole thing takes place in a bar, you know, in Paris. And it's like Albert Einstein meets Picasso and they're having this very highbrow discussion. And it's all about the great minds of the 20th century. And then in walks the the third most memorable person from the 20th century. You'll never guess who it was. And it's a spoiler, but the play is not in production right now. So then at the end in walks Elvis. (laughs) So it was what I know it was the most charming play. Like I have to say, I was it was amazing. So kudos to Steve Martin. Everything he does, I think, is magic. So if you're listening to this, I just and and I want to thank Hulu. This is not a paid for comment. I just am such a fan. So thank you for the show. It's been such a breath of fresh air this this season. Oh, such a great show. So new, so refreshing to, to have a new story. Like yeah, and uh. And, the anticipation for the next episode my goodness absolutely so i think you and i should pair wines to each of the characters and i'm going to ask you to pair wines right tell me what you think so steve martin classic sophisticated a little bit of a has-been on the show his character what wine would he be drinking do you think he would Uh, be something traditional like burgundy or is he going to be kind of like a surprise you got that right out of my mouth. Uh, Burgundy. Burgundy. He okay. You will be, it will be a grand crew. Absolutely. He would be a grand crew Burgundy. Okay. So now let's talk about Martin Short's character. He is quite the New Yorker, quite a showman. What is he drinking? He's my favorite, by the way, in the show. I, I just love every, every line is just to me, it's an instant laugh. He's Absolutely. just amazing. And he's, and he's um, a dog lover. I love his, that he has a dog. There's a little drama with the dog. Mm-hmm. We won't spoil it, but. So he would probably be, I would like to go, he would be a Riesling. Okay. That's, that's he, a pretty good choice. He would be a Riesling. I think he, he would be a Riesling because he could be, he could be anything. He could be, he could be sweet. He could be dry. It could be, it could be a, a long lasting or it could be short lived. Like he's always unpredictable. I was so I was thinking he's such a showy person and he's all about appearances. I was thinking champagne, but I like Riesling because actually it's such a um, delicious and surprising wine every time and you never get disappointed. And I feel like his character, you never get disappointed. Everything he chooses to do, even the car, 
Mm-hmm. There's, so, there's so many styles. Absolutely. They're always great. Yeah. Okay. Last character who might actually be my favorite, I think, uh, Selena Gomez on the show. I mean, what a, what a fantastic character. So what is she drinking? And I don't want to be ageist and because she's young and think that, you know, she would just be drinking Moscato, like, because she's actually kind of very clever, very brave, very confident on the show. So, I mean, I have some thoughts about it, but I want to hear from you. What do you think she would be drinking? She would be a pet nut. Ooh, good call. Okay. She is, she is bubbly, but not as pretentious as a sophisticated yeah. bubble. So she is, she is, and she is mysterious. A pet nut is mysterious. It could be, it could be super sparkly and could be a little on the flatter side. Uh, it could be made by, or on, by so many different grapes. It's just unpredictable. And at the end of the day, it's always great. I was going to say, a bone dry muscadet. Ooh, that's also that's also right? a really good analogy. Because she's there. her humor is so dry, but muscadet is also one of those wines where you really have to know a little something about wine to even know to order it. And I'm like, she seems to know a little something about everything. Like she really is like tapped in. So I'm 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 gonna go with muscadet with her, but fantastic. I so- think I think I like yours better. <laughs> I'm gonna well, change mine from muscadet too. Okay. Uh yeah. Although you know, I do think she was drinking. Well, I don't want to ruin anything on the episode. There was an episode where I think she was sort of sitting precariously on the roof, drinking a champagne, maybe. But I'll have to rewatch it. it might have, it, maybe it was a muscadet and a coupe glass. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've had a wonderful discussion about Portugal today. So thank you very much, Ferdy. This has been fantastic, and I'm excited for our listeners to be able to try the wines in the collection and have a little bit more info on them. And thanks also for your commentary on Only Murders. I'm. I'm hoping that we can chat about this when the season's over and, and talk more. Yes. Maybe we'll tie it into the next episode, (laughs) but thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure as usual. It's been so great. So thank you very much, Brady. And I'll talk to you soon. And to everyone else listening, cheers. If you find yourself in Lisbon, stop by the Barro Alto Hotel to taste Nuno Mendes authentic cuisine at Bar Restaurant. Today on the podcast, we tasted three great wines from Portugal. 2020 Mara's El Vino Verde, DOC, 2019 Tertius Vino Tinto, Tejo, 2019 Mentor Red Blend, Doro, DOC. To get a discount on these wines, enter the code PORTWINE at wineinsiders.com, leaders in online wine, where you get better wine delivered in just days.